Good morning. I'm not entirely sure how long ago this was, but it must be well over a year by now. And I'm also not completely sure who said it, but I'm almost certain it was Peter Vazira. One Sunday morning, he got up to um, speak to us about the search for a new pastor and said that the eldership were seeking God after who that should be. But that seeking after God needed to not just be the eldership, but all of us seeking God. And he asked that if God gave a word to any of us, that we would um, share that with the eldership. Peter's nodded, so I, I think that was the always <laughs> Well, anyway. Um, in response to Peter's request, God gave me something almost straight away. And then throughout the remainder of the service, God had kept expanding that word until I realized I didn't have a nice, neat word to deliver to the eldership, but it was actually a message for the whole body. And I said to God, well, now what? But I reasoned that, okay, God, if you've given me this message for everybody, then you will um, create the opportunity for me to share it. So I thought, well, if I do get that opportunity, I know in advance what it is that you want to say, God. And that opportunity did come. And um, I was booked to speak in March, but obviously lockdown happened and then kept happening and kept happening. And then when the church was due to um, reopen in November, um, Alan said, well, or we arranged, oh, I'll probably speak on the second or third week that we're back. But then we were only back for one week. <laughs> anyway, here I am today, and this is the day that I get to share this word with you. Now, obviously, some considerable time has passed. I think it must be well over 18 months ago, or over a year, I don't know. But... The word has endured, and it's remained fresh within me. Now, what God said to me in response to Peter's request initially was this, that this is a time of repositioning. That phrase, a time of repositioning, it characterizes the phase in the life of the body here that we are now entering into. One way in which lockdown may have been of benefit to us is that Alan, during that time, exercised the PCF quiz uh, mind. And uh, so we might be a bit better at doing this next bit. I've got um, a, a few slides. I'd just like Peter to um, prepare the first one. It's very simple. I just want you to tell me what you see. So if you could... Call out what you see. Well, we are a room full of prophets. For the <laughs> benefit of those listening, the people that might be listening later online, what you can see on the screen is some flour, some eggs, and a bottle of milk. That may have been the answer that you'd given me. If you had said that, I would have said, I can understand why you're telling me that, but I'm seeing something differently. As I say, your profits, because I've, I've already heard the right answer. <laughs> the next slide, if Peter puts that up, it's the same images, but just with the addition, addition of one. And this will confirm what is it that we're seeing. It's Yorkshire puddings. We've, we've got a Yorkshire pudding um, tin added to the flour, milk, and eggs. So this is Yorkshire puddings in the unmixed form, but we know where it's heading. 
Right, so now that you're on my wavelength, um, you may find the next one even easier. So, if Peter, if you could put the next slide up, please. So, what are you looking at? We've had computer, we've had mobile phone, toy car, no. <laughs> Alan says a nightmare. So, it's lots of pieces of metalwork, isn't it? But we're not sure what it is. Well, this is actually a car engine. And if you were going for bonus points, you would tell me it's a V12 engine from an Aston Martin DB11. Or at least that's what Google told me, and I'm too ignorant about car engines to know anything other. <laughs> so, right, we've got one, well, it's actually two more slides. These slides are of the same type of object, just different ones. So, Peter, if you could put the next two up. We've got that one for a few seconds, and the next one. We've been I've been told a clock. Yes, it's a clock. Now this is um, disassembled clock mechanisms from grandfather clocks. Now the people that put those images on the internet, you can switch lights back on. Oh no, actually we need. To, oh, I've got two more slides, haven't I? <laughs> they did so with um, comments which I thought were quite pertinent to what I'm going to be sharing today. So if you want to put the next slide up, we could just read that together. This is what the gentleman said that put this one up. said, this is a disassembled Hermel grandfather movement after ultrasonic cleaning and ready to be rebushed. And the next one. These are all the parts to a grandfather clock. Each one will be inspected before assembly. Very time-consuming work. I look for wear and bent or cracked gear teeth, bent or worn pivots. Also, rust is a factor too. I sit down with a loop and check each piece, then put it all back together. And I'll, I learnt that a loop is a uh, magnifying glass used by clockmakers. <laughs> so, thank you, Peter. That's uh, the end of the slides for now. Now, when God said to me that this is a time of repositioning, he attached the image that he attached to that was of the components of a clock mechanism all spread out on the floor before us, except before we were facing that way, not this way. Now, somebody strips back an engine, takes all apart, services the parts, and puts it back together again, or does the same thing with a clock, because they want that car or that clock to fully function the way that it was designed to. It's for the same reason that God is commencing this work of repositioning, because he wants a body here that is vibrant, well, alive, and fully functioning in his kingdom, the way that we've been created and designed to. Now, as he has us, as it were, like the components of a clock all spread out, and he's tending to us individually, healing us, forming us, fashioning us, repairing us, teaching us things. He will be revealing to us and speaking to us individually about what he's doing, why he's doing it, um, and revealing to us his plans and his purposes for now, but also into the future. I'd like you to just hold that thought about how God is going to be speaking individual words to us during this time of repositioning. 
as we quickly just got two more slides, very, very easy this time. I just, uh, we're going to have a slide come up. I'd like to tell me what you see. Right, I'm being told, um, for the benefit of those listening later, that they can see the Queen. But actually, no, and Peter, you've ruined it. <laughs> so you just like, to <laughs> well, you could see, the, the answer is no, you're not seeing the Queen. What, from this second slide, which you, and it's the same image, but the zoomed out version of the picture, what are you seeing? A tea party. There's a clue. So who did you say that this was? What is the woman doing next to her? Is that the queen? It's not the queen, is it? Who is it? I've heard it is a model, a waxwork. So where are we? Madame Two Swords. That's it. So you can see with the benefit of the second slide, which is the whole picture, that although you weren't completely wrong in your first answer, you also weren't entirely right. The benefit of the whole picture, you know how to interpret the first. Right, that is the end of the slide. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> so going back to the thought that we've been holding about how God is going to be giving us words in individually, revealing th things to us individually. We, um, God is giving us an understanding and a wisdom to know that those words given to us individually can only be fully understood and accurately interpreted in the context of the whole picture. And the whole picture is not revealed through an individual but it's revealed through the entirety of the body here. I want to, you know, that um, wisdom that he's granting us, that understanding, is going to enable us to avoid the scenario where one of us stands up and says, right, God has told me that we need to be doing this work as a church, and these people need to be involved, and we need to start it and go in this direction now. While they're still speaking, person two stands up and says, uh, no, God has told me that the focus of the church is this, and we need to have these people involved, and we must be doing this. Number three person stands up and says, just hang on a minute, everybody. God has categorically told me that... Unless this issue is sorted out, unless we've got this foundation in place, we're not going to be doing anything. Now, person one and person two look at each other and say, oh, God didn't tell me that. Person one goes left, person two goes right, and person three is left all frustrated and angry. Why is nobody listening to God? But God, is, as I say, is giving us an understanding and a wisdom of how to deal with the words that we're given individually. And I'd like you to humor me for a few minutes while I just entertain an utterly ridiculous scenario. But hopefully we'll see something through it. I'd like you to cast your minds back to a time before Jesus was born. You know, God's people, they really wanted to know what God's rescue plan 
was for them. They'd heard these rumours that there was going to be a saviour, but they wanted to know the detail. Who is it that we're waiting for? So a, uh, a leadership meeting is called of all the leaders of God's people. And all the heavyweights are there. You've got the ayahs. There's Jeremiah, Isaiah and Zechariah. Moses and David come and there's Daniel there. Um, Hosea and Micah are called. And they all gather and they've got this weighty task of coming up with a complete but a concise message to deliver to the people who is the saviour going to be. So the chair of the meeting opens it and think right quite quite a heavy task that we've got here but we'll start with something simple where's he going to be born well Micah comes up straight away Uh, it's going to be born in Bethlehem and the chair of the meeting his hopes soar I think you never know he might even get home early tonight but before his hopes can get too high Hosea cuts in uh God told me that he's calling his son out of Egypt. So I reason he's been born in Egypt. The uh, chair of the meeting thinks, okay, right. Well, that was supposed to be the easy thing, but we can't even agree on that. Let's move on. He says, Daniel, what can you contribute to this? What's God told you? And he said, well, God has told me that he's going to be a king with a kingdom that's going to rule forever and ever and ever. And Zechariah gets all really excited. He says, yes, and he's going to be really popular. And he's going to come riding into Jerusalem and all the people are going to love him. They're going to be cheering and rejoicing. And then Aya says, no, God's told me he's going to be utterly despised and rejected by men. Not be cheering him. You know, they're going to hate him so much that they're going to kill him. And the manner of his death so brutal that he's going to be disfigured beyond human recognition. David and Moses look at each other, and then David says, just hang on a minute there, Isaiah. You know, God has told me that he was going to be a pierce, but me and Moses were chatting earlier this afternoon, and God's told us that he's never going to have a broken bone. It just doesn't fit with what you're saying, that brutality, that he's going to be beyond hu- human recognition. Well, the chair of the meeting is saying, what is going on? And then, but then Jeremiah says, well... I'm with um, Daniel and um, Zechariah because God has told me that he's going to be a king. And then Zechariah says, but you know what? I'm not sure if I really have heard God right. He did say he's going to be king and riding into Jerusalem, but he said it was going to be on a donkey. That's not really a king's first choice of wheels, is it? You know, and the uh, chair of the meeting now is thinking, this is hopeless. We're not going home early. We're not going to go home on time. It's going to be really late. Not only, you know, if you've got Zechariah here, he can't even agree with himself. How are we going to get agreement between them? And then Isaiah pipes up. Oh, it always must escape my mind. Just while I remember, he's going to be born of a virgin. You know, I think with cries of absurd and ridiculous, the Bibles have been chucked one way, the um, notebooks the other and people were just stormed out in confusion and frustration meeting disbanded now of course that didn't happen for a start all those people didn't always live at the same time but we can see how you can take the words that God gave those prophets and extract them individually and out of context and you can be left with words that seem contradictory 
incompatible and utterly ridiculous. But we can look at those words with hindsight and see how they actually all fit together to perfectly reveal who Jesus is. And in fact, the more of them you embrace, the clearer the picture becomes. But God isn't a God of hindsight. He's a God of foresight. And he is giving foresight to us, his body here now, so that we know to be like those prophets. So we will, first of all, receive the words that he gives us individually and then faithfully deliver them to the body, knowing that that is a contribution to the whole picture being formed. And from that whole picture, God's plans and his purposes for the body here will be revealed. Now, as we are hearing for the first time about this work of repositioning, we, by his Holy Spirit, we're receiving his understanding and he's gifting us his wisdom. Our, as we are hearing, our hearts will be starting to submit to that work. But the human side of us, there will be a question forming, or if not a question, a presumption. And that question is, okay, God, this work, how long is it going to last? How long before we can get back on again? Or if it's not a question, I say, it would be a, a presumption, whether subconscious or conscious, thinking, okay, this is work of repositioning. I guess it will be about this long, and then we'll be off again. And right at the start of God revealing this work to us, he is removing that question from our hearts, and he is removing that presumption, and he is saying, I am a God of completion. Now we know from um, Philippians, the good work that God begins in us, he brings to completion. You know, what God starts, he finishes. Like us to think about the Israelites in captivity in Egypt, God began a work with them by which he wanted a people that could inherit a promised land, the land of Canaan. We know that it was a physical journey of three days to get the people from Egypt to Canaan. But the work of having a people that were capable of inheriting that land, which needed to be a people that knew God, that loved him, that had shared his vision for their future, that had a passion for what God wanted and had just innate dependency and a trust and reliance upon him. That work, to complete that work, took many more than three days. It was 40 years. But God remained committed to the completion of that work throughout 40 years until one day when that work was completed, he had a people that could go into the promised land. I'd like us to just consider Jonah. God had a work he wanted to do in Jonah, uh, sorry, in Nineveh, and he chose to partner with Jonah to do that. But when God said to Jonah, go east, Jonah went west. God didn't abandon his work. Instead, he remained committed to it, and he just found a more compliant whale. That when God said to the whale, swim west, east rather the whale swam east and the work was completed 
in the Nineveh did experience a revival. There was the work of repentance there. Like us to go but to Abraham. God began a work with Abraham by which one day a son of promise, born of faith, through whom God would bless the whole earth, would be born. And God remained committed to that work through decades of human infertility. Remember, it was a son born of faith, but God remained committed through years of unbelief, through a lack of faith, through being laughed at in his face. And he also remained committed to the completion of that work when human beings tried to complete it their way and ended up with Ishmael. And then um, look at Jesus in the stories that he told. There's further demonstration of God's commitment to the completion. Think of the story of the woman searching for that lost coin or the good shepherd looking for the sheep. How long did they look for? No, they looked and they looked and they looked and they looked until that work of searching was completed and they found that coin and they found that sheep. And the ultimate demonstration of God's commitment to completion is seen on Jesus at the cross. Now we know from Revelation and um, Peter that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Do you know, even before God had created the world, before he had made the human race, he knew, because we said he's got a foresight, he knew that the human race would need a redeemer one day. They would need a savior. There would need to be a rescue plan. So before he'd even created them, it was already decided. Jesus was effectively already the lamb that was slain. And God remained committed to that work through so very many, many, many years, I don't know how long, until one day on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And aren't you glad that God is a God of completion that remains committed to the completion of his works? Because he remained committed to that work of Jesus one day being the lamb that would be slain, Jesus could say on that cross, it is finished, and we are alive today and will reign through eternity with him because that work was completed. You know, God, he never curtails a, pro a work because it's exceeded a humanly appointed deadline. He never scales back a project because of a lack of natural resources or human skill. And he never deviates from his plans or purposes for lack of human cooperation. What he starts, he finishes. I've got a real sense of how much we are being honored as a body here by God sharing and revealing this work to us. I see as though we have been gathered into an inner room, and I'm not just talking to the people who are in this physical room, but the body that is in their own homes as well. As I say, I see that though we've been gathered into this inner room and there's a, there's a table and we're all stood around the table and Jesus is on the other side of the table and Jesus with sort of an, an eagerness and an excitement, a pleasure and a joy that he's finally getting to share. It's, we've come to a point where he can now share this with us as friends because he wants us to know. 
he's unfolding these quite large pieces of paper, a bit like an architect would have, to show us this work and what he's going to be doing. And he is, as I said, he is giving us an understanding of what he's doing and why he's doing it. And he's giving us a wisdom so that we know how to walk with him and each other in unity through this time. And he is also forming and fashioning and establishing a heart that is committed to the completion of God's works the same way that God is. Now, with that heart that is committed to completion, he's establishing in us. When the outside voice comes in, whether that's an actual person or it's just a voice in our heads, and they come in, as it were, and they see the components of the clock all spread out before us, and they point and they say, that's not church, that's not how you do church, that's a mess. We remain unmoved. The, uh, we resist the urge to pack everything up neatly, just make us look like church again. Let's just go back to Egypt, like the Israelites said, just go back to what we know. Let's see, we remain unmoved, and the reason being is because where that the person comes in and maybe they s only see flour, eggs, milk, we have the vision of Yorkshire puddings and we won't be robbed of that. Whereas they see random pieces of metalwork, just a mess on the floor that they discard. Instead, we see an Aston Martin DB11 or we see a stately grandfather clock. And while they're all getting super excited about meeting the Queen, we're rolling our eyes and thinking, it's a lump of wax, you fool. You know, God is so loving us that he's revealing his heart. He's telling us about this work. He's sharing it with us. He's giving us an understanding so that we know how to embrace this and partner with him. And he's giving us that wisdom that allows us to walk in unity with him and each other. And that this work may be peaceable and pleasant for all of us. And he's giving us and establishing that heart that's committed to the completion of his works. So that we will not be robbed or cheated out of being an Isaac. Rather we will see the completion of this time of repositioning. And at its completion, we will share in the jo God's joy at the completion of that work. And we will be an Isaac through whom he blesses the world. <laughs>